Hey there, and welcome to episode 89 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. In today's show, I am welcoming my guest, Brie Lever of Ember Consulting, to join me in conversation around turning your customers into advocates for your brand. Brie and the team at Ember work with brands who have strong social or sustainable missions, helping to design programs to activate your super fans to take action with you to achieve your business goals. I am really excited to chat with Brie and learn her methods for getting your fans and your followers on board with your company values, all with the goal of making more sales. Let's get right to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure that you've grabbed my free retail roadmap, a workbook that outlines my nine steps to building a brand that flies off the shelf. If you're a producer of a packaged product in the food industry, you are going to want this. I'll add it to today's show notes, so make sure you check out that PDF when you're done listening. Thanks. Welcome, Bree. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Me me too. This is going to be a fun conversation. So before we get into it, I want to paint a picture for my listeners. So Brie, where are you, where are you recording from right now? Yeah. So I'm, well, I normally live in Portland, Oregon, but right now I'm on the big Island in Hawaii. Um, so I've got, actually, I, I don't know if I can show you, but I've got this like little ocean view out the front. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, yes. Yes. I love like everyone on the podcast right now who are like, <laughs> We can't see it. Show us the pictures. Um, Brie, you are like living in this tropical paradise and I am very jealous. Oh gosh. Well, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful. I won't lie. (laughs) (laughs) But you, I mean, I know a little bit about your background and you have traveled all over the place and like, you know, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Like, tell me a little bit about like your path and how you landed where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, like deep Amish country. (laughs) My grandpa was actually Amish, which is a story for a whole other time. Um, (laughs) I was 16. My family moved to the Middle East. And so I graduated high school in Qatar. Or I mean, okay, somebody is going to like reach out and be like, that's not how you say it. So just in Arabic, it's Qatar. And so it's like very hard to literate. But anyways, Qatar. (laughs) You can say it however you want. And then, uh, that really sparked for me this desire to work with businesses that are doing good things in the world um, because of that international travel, which you don't have to travel internationally to see the need yeah. that exists in the world. But I think it it kind of provided a stark contrast for me to see the disparity between what I believe the world can be and where it is right now. And so I really decided to commit my life work to working with businesses that are doing that um, and for-profit businesses that have a greater mission than just making money. So yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, so I just I went to the college in Indiana and then ended up in Portland and now I'm on the big Island. So yeah. And that's a, that's a COVID thing for you, right? You're, you took a little, a little break from Portland during, during COVID and 
Um, who knows, who knows where you will end up next. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Right. Uh, You and me, you and me both. We're both wondering (laughs) that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you started Ember. Um, and tell me, tell me a little bit about that. I know I want to talk, I do want to talk about our shared client. Um, but we'll get there in a little bit, but tell me about Ember and, and what you do for brands. Yeah. So at Ember, we essentially partner with brands who are doing great things in the world, which is very broad, but uh, it'll, it'll get more specific as the podcast goes on. Um, and we we help design programs for their super fans. So we, we basically ask the question like, hey, when someone comes to your brand and is like, this is incredible. Like, how have I never lived without like without this before? We're like, what do you tell them? Like, what's your what can you offer them or what can you invite them into? And usually the best thing that they have, the best answer that they have, if they have an answer is like, here's a link, go share it. Question mark. Like, like, talk about us, please. And we just think there's so much energy behind that momentum of the super fans. And we want to craft programs and design frameworks that they can easily um, they can easily take action with your brand to actually yeah. achieve your goal, um, rather than letting that energy go to waste. Yeah, and almost rather than leaving money on the table too, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, there's essentially like if you think about your business in three ways that you can make money. You can or make more money. You can increase your prices. You can get more customers or you can get more repeat customers. And so we we do two out of those three. We focus on getting more new customers, but we do that through engaging these repeat customers. Mm-hmm. And we look at the top of the top of those repeat customers to generate those two actions. Oh, I, I feel so aligned with you here because one of the things we talk about a lot inside of Retail Ready is that it's <laughs> it's so much easier to get store reorders. And once you have landed that retail account, right, um, and you get the reorder and the reorder and the reorder, rather than constantly trying to get new new stores. Yeah. That is that's exhausting. So I, I, it seems like you have that same perspective around, um, direct to consumer or your, your fans in the first place. Well, and it reminds me of one of our kind of guiding principles is that the Pareto principle or the 80, 20 rule, which is 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. So 20% of your customers are generating 80% of your revenue. And so we kind of flip that on its head and say, well, what if we invested 80% of our energy into that 20% of people and, and blew that up even more. And so you can kind of, you can kind of segment your customers and continue segmenting that top 20%. And it actually develops a really healthy pipeline of where your time and energy should be invested. Oh, this is so interesting to me. I, I am a person who likes to optimize things and really uh, measure return on investment. So you are, uh, Brie, you are speaking my language here. So before we, before we really get into it, I do want to, I want to highlight one thing that you said um, that I'm not sure my listeners like truly picked up on is that this isn't, um, this isn't available only to nonprofits. You specifically said that you work with for-profit businesses, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about like um, why that is or like why that is or like how can a for-profit business also be mission-based or values-oriented? Yeah, definitely. So 
when I say um, like mission led or somebody that a brand that has a strong social or sustainable mission, that doesn't have to mean that like, you know, all you're doing is your mission. I believe very strongly that like a product itself and like a high quality product that solves a problem for someone is is a social, it's, it's making the world a better place. You know, if I have a very real problem in my life, I don't need you to be like freeing the turtles in Mexico in order for me to want to buy it. Um, but it is kind of the heart of it is like, what is the purpose of your product? And is it something greater than just yourself and just you making money? Are you, are, do you care about the customers whose problem you are helping guide them towards a solution? Um, yeah, I, I pretty much uh, exclusively work with for-profit businesses that have, um, you know, either some sort of uh, like they might have a give back model or they might have um, that purpose baked into what they do. So our yeah. our, our um, client that we share, Ground yeah. PDX, they're a great example. So they make nut butters. They're a phenomenal product. Like it's literally amazing. Oh my God. It's so delicious. So delicious. (laughs) I won't even show you my cabinet right now because it's embarrassing how many jars I have. I just stockpile them. Um, And so they're Julie and Carolyn, the co-founders are good friends of mine. We actually all worked at the same company before they started. Yeah. And that was a mission-based company as well. So they make these phenomenal, delicious nut butters with yep. like unique flavors and they employ women who are overcoming adversity. So women who are coming out of homelessness or addiction and they provide sort of a, a job training program yep. in the creation of nut butters. Yep. So they've really like um, just woven and kind of baked mission and impact into what they do as a company. Yep. It doesn't have to be that uh, intimate, your mission, but yeah. it does have to be a core part of who you are. Does that help answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel, I feel like Brie, there's for a while, there was this, I don't know, a stigma or like some sense where it's like you couldn't make money and do good at the same time. And I think that's simply not true. Right. And I think it's, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice to think that we, we can't we can't make money and do good at the same time. You know, I like to think about the the more money we make, the more we can put that money towards the things that we care about and put the money back into our communities and and really um choose to make an impact based based on the fact that we have high revenue, right? Well, just the separation of like I think industry-wise of the people who care basically go to the nonprofit sector and then the people who like don't care yeah. <laughs> go into like, a business sector. I just think the world would look so much better if it wasn't that distinction. And I think that's changing. That's like a massive in the last 10 years. And so I love to work with people who like see a gap between the way things are and what they want the world to look like. And and the product is doing something to contribute to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really proud. I would say that um, probably 80 85% 85% of our retail ready students are are like pretty strongly mission based um where they they either started the business because they were filling a need for the consumer or they um they are really trying to raise awareness or bring attention to something through through the sales of their product um so yeah Bree I feel like you are you are like speaking to the right people here so so let's talk about this let's talk about turning customers into advocates for your brand can we start from the top and tell me like what the heck does that mean like what are what are we talking about here 
<laughs> totally. Well, and that's why I always start with like why your mission is so important. Cause like mm-hmm. it has to be bigger than you or just a product in order for people to want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> like to be very blunt. Like if you want to invite people into a community and into this energy around what you're doing, like it has to be about something and it has to have this very clear purpose. And if you're doing that, then you actually already very likely have these super fans and these mm-hmm. customers are existing. The biggest question is, what do you do with them? Yeah. <laughs> and are they <laughs> and are do they have do they have a pathway? Do they have a guided, a guided path that they can take that actually gets them to where they want to go? And have right. you have you stopped and considered not just what's the solution that you're solving for your customer, but for the person who is like literally crazy about your product, they do exist. Like they do. If you're being humble right now in your mind, I just need you to like put that <laughs> on the back for a second <laughs> and know that you've got people who are crazy about your product. And how are you going to position them as the hero in, in the story? And how does a program help guide them? So anyways, these are, these are a bunch of questions that I'm just riffing on now, but um, what it means, <laughs> what what it means for us to turn the customer into an advocate, we we create a lot of programs um, that are based in habit formation and behavioral psychology to just really simply break down the actions that someone can take. Mm. Whether that's I'm going to post about your brand, or I'm going to like text my mom because these nut butters are amazing, or I'm going to like next time I go to book club, I'm going to bring my like these new pretzels mm. that I from this brand, like whatever little action it is, we break it down into um, what we call tiny habits. It's something, it's a kind of methodology from this professor, BJ Fogg. Anyways, we're big fans of him. He has this whole methodology around creating tiny habits. And so Mm -hmm. our structure rely on instilling an, an advocate's experience with these prompts towards those tiny actions that over time, help them build traction and gain some momentum around talking about your product and then sprinkling in rewards and incentives to help keep that momentum going. Oh my God, this sounds so fun. I like, I'm like, (laughs) how can we design this like within food biz? Like this sounds so, so fun to me. Um, It is fun. (laughs) Yeah. And, and Brie, um, how do you know if somebody is a super fan? Like, how do you find your super fans? Yeah. So very, very simple way to start is take your top 20%. So Mm. usually when I start with a client and like literally, by the way, none of the stuff I do is rocket science. You can (laughs) easily replicate it. (laughs) Like, please feel it, replicate it. It's going to help you do it. I'll tell you all the things to do. So basically um, when we start out, we say, let's take your top 20% of customers. Let's look at their lifetime order value. Um, So very simple Excel sheet. And let's just take the top 20%. Let's get them into a focus group to kind of run some of these ideas, get some feedback from them on like what they would want to see if they were going to yep. be more involved with the brand. Yep. And in the process, that focus group, you know, asking them for feedback actually psychologically gets them on our side. <laughs> oh, we're, for sure. we're oh yes, 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 yes. I see this, so right? Like, kind of, yeah. Yep. They're helping you out with giving you feedback. They're kind of getting on your side. They, they get some, they feel like they're a part of designing this program that yes. you're, that you're getting their feedback on. Um, and so that's usually, that's usually where we start. And we just kind of test out and say like, this is our top 20%. Is this who we envision our top customer being? Um, and then we just start testing. Like I'm a really big fan of like shipping quickly and then testing. I, I just had a client, we launched their program a month ago and we're like, you know what? We got to pivot. Like we, it's time we have enough feedback and enough information that 
let's pivot on who we think this top customer is. Mm. And we're in the program, which I think that's my philosophy on things, just because I think you're always going to get better results when you're willing to, to throw it out there, try it out pivot if you need to, and then recreate. Totally. So um, I'm going off script here, but Brie, was that was that customer or that client of yours open to pivoting? I feel like that's they always They actually the... were. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah they, they were. And it was... It was something that like, it was kind of an assumption we were making about, about the program itself. And we, we essentially realized we had these two competing call to actions and purposes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. didn't get, didn't get ultra clear on that in the beginning. And partly because of the tension, the client felt with one of them. Um, and so, so it was, it was a, it was a rumble between us, but <laughs> they were super open and very, and very willing to pivot with me. <laughs> That's very cool because we, so we do a lot around target audiences and surveying audiences. And we, um, one of my, my favorite things inside retail ready is a target audience mad libs that we have, uh, founders fill out about like who their ideal target audience is and that emotional connection they have with your brand and all that. But um, for a lot of early stage founders, it's just assumptions, right? Like they can certainly like make a best guess. Um, And so often Bree's students will be, will be like, Allie, like, how do I know if this is right? Like, am I on the right track? Like, how do I know? I'm like, we got to go out and test it now, right? Like we, we are being scientists here. Like, here's our hypothesis. Like we're going to go. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys do. Totally. And the worst mistake that you can do is because of the insecurity around your assumption is to not make an assumption at all and just make it mm. so broad that everyone fits into that. Yes. But forcing yourself to get specific and say, I don't know for sure, yes. <laughs> but here's the most specific definition that I can get of my customer. Cause, yeah. and that's what I've seen. That's what I saw in my, um, before I started Ember, I was really scared to clearly state who that top customer was. And what ended up happening was I started attracting a lot of people who didn't share the values of what I actually wanted that top customer to be. And because I wasn't brave enough to explicitly state that, our community became inundated with a lot of people who actually didn't align with the values that we were going to forward with. And so having the bravery to say, actually, this is our very specific definition of who we're looking for and being willing to say, even in the beginning when it's so painful and you're like, but if I, but if I let someone not come in, like, who will buy from me? Like there's this panic, but like, I promise that the 10 year from now, you will thank the current you if you are able to stick with those boundaries sooner rather than later. Yeah, Brie, it sounds, it sounds so valuable that you had that experience for your own business and that then you can, you can speak firsthand about it to your clients. Right. Um, and I understand that tension, especially being a young brand when you just want to sail, right? Like you want that money, <laughs> you want that, you know, the check or like that, you know, that like uh Shopify transaction. And um, <laughs> it's hard to like, turn away the clients at the beginning when they're, when, even if you know that they're not the right fit for your brand. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. Totally. Which, and that's, that's what I, so what I like to say to my clients is like the worst thing. So you don't want to put yourself in the position of being the judge of who is in and who is out. Hmm. You just want to be ultra completely like off the charts, clear, on what your values are and who you are as a brand, and then let people self-select into that. Mm. So I 
really avoid creating programs where it's like they apply and then we like judge their application and we like try to discern who's going to be a good fit and who's not going to be a good fit. Like that's like, that's not my role as like a limited fallible human being. (laughs) I just, I'm not not that like all knowing. I wish I was sometimes I think I am, but I'm not. So (laughs) we, in order to avoid that, be super clear on what you stand for and who you are going after and then let them self-select in and self-select out. Oh, that's such a great tip. I, I think that's really, that's really smart, Brie. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about the value of doing this. Like I, I think, I, I think our listeners are like, okay, cool. Like we, we get the super fans. Like I, I've got some super fans, like maybe they need to like, um, be a little bit more confident and like put the stake in the ground saying like, yes, we have super fans. So why do we do this work? You talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but can we go into a bit more detail about why it's important to, to actually nurture these fans and, um, keep them coming back? Yeah, absolutely. So I touched on it in the beginning, but essentially what we're doing is we're pouring in and investing our time and our energy into that that top 20% of your customers yep. so that we can we can generate those repeat purchases but then you can also um, you can you can also craft a, a a program where the action is attaining new customers mm. so yep. really um, like depending on your goals and what you want an advocate program to do for you um, it can be anything from much softer to like getting the word out, out and creating awareness around like whether it's posting um, or generating activity on social media all the way to like very hard sales. So for ground yeah. up that looked like, Hey, like we need to activate this community to sell our product. And what I think where I think that's an especially, especially high value for your clients, Ali is you guys are going after wholesale accounts and like yeah. whew, the wholesale grind. I get the piece of salmon. Like I, I get it. And what I, what I told ground up in the beginning was like, absolutely. Like keep pursuing that. That's, that's your strategy. Yeah. But in the meantime, you have such a strong brand, such a strong message. People are joining with it. What if this could create a layer of stability for your business? Yes experiencing. And it can feel, um, so it, it, I get the tension between like, you want to invest your time and your energy into wholesale, but what if there's some low hanging fruit that you can do to create an identity for these people who love your brand and say, Hey, um, you know, join with us. You know, when you create an identity, that's a really important step that a lot of people miss when they throw out an affiliate program or a referral program. Um, they don't first take the step to say, become a butter ambassador, become an advocate with us. <laughs> become, I know, but I can't say butter ambassador without like, laughing I know, a bit. I um, know. That's <laughs> such a, it's such a great name. And you know, you, you keep using the word super fans too. And like, you know, um, I know one of the like early podcasts that I used to listen to was Pat Flynn's podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. So like he has this whole, he has a book on like that. I think it's called super fans. That's all about like turning your listeners into a community, which is so applicable to like what you're talking about here, Brie. Like, and one of the things that really stuck with me was that he was like, just give them a name. So like butter ambassadors <laughs> is like, <laughs> they know who they are now. Right. They're like, they're such a little crew. 
Yes, totally. Oh, and it's like, it's so funny. So we like created this online uh, community platform for them. And it is like, I mean, now I'm like, I could spot a butter bastard a mile away. Like they've like become their own, like <laughs> they like all have dogs somehow. They all like to hike. Like it's like they've unfolded as this like persona and it really has helped ground up also refine like who that target yeah, customer is. For sure this community unfolds. But that first step, like you're saying of create an identity, create a title, like give them a name, something that they can join with Yes, and then show them like pathway to success. Um, I think it's just, even if you're like all in on a wholesale strategy, there's some low hanging fruit there that even if you're not like, okay, we're going to build out like a huge program. And like, we're all about community. Like there's some low hanging fruit and people Mm -hmm. who like want that energy and partner with you and just give them something to do, give them some direction. And I think there's also like two other things related to that, that, that balance between direct to consumer and your wholesale strategy is the first one is when you are a young, when you, I was gonna say young business, but basically like any business, um, when you are starting a business, it's so important to like beeline to profitability right? And so it's like, we want to be profitable. So whether or not, whether that's through direct to consumer or wholesale or whatever other thing you're doing, like selling on Amazon, it doesn't matter as long as the the profit is there, right? And so okay. Bri, I hear you, I hear you like using that, fr- that phrase, low hanging fruit, which is such a great way to think about it. It's like, if there's dollars over there, like yeah. go get them, right? Well, and that was, so my first, how I got into all this was the first company that I worked at. Uh, it was actually a sandal like manufacturing company mm-hmm. and they switched. So we, I was hired to start this direct sales program. And, um, at the time their re- 70% of their revenue was coming from wholesale. And wow. within two years, our, uh, and that took five years to establish. So yep. five years, Wholesale is bringing in 70% of their revenue within two years, our little, our little ambassador program had surpassed in revenue. What took five years to build in your whole. And so the company actually completely shut down their wholesale program, which was like shift with a lot of risk involved. I mean, five years of pouring into that. So you, if you're listening to this, you don't have to go there today. <laughs> right, but, exactly. But like, you don't need to close a, down a side of your business. But, <laughs> but, um, but willing and open to what is making you money and to be willing yeah. to shift. Yeah. And knowing your numbers, right? Like that's the other important thing. Like, you know, the sandal company certainly like got to that that point where they were really intimate with their numbers and knew knew which decisions to make based off financials. Um, but the second thing that I want to say before we take a quick break, Brie, is that your ambassador program, your direct-to-consumer relationships, you know, whatever you have on, on that side of thing, help your wholesale sales as well, right? That wholesale buyer wants to know that when they put your product on their shelf, the people will come, right? They want to know your super fans are going to be like knocking on their door, coming and buying your product off their shelves. Well, that's, what's awesome. Like in our best, but ambassador community, for example, we can throw out a challenge that's like, Hey, like we're like 
a grocery store sweep. Like everyone on the East Coast, we're not in any stores in the East Coast. Everyone go. And every time you go, put in a request for Ground Up PDX. Like we now have this like small army of 200 people on the East Coast that where we're not in any stores that we can leverage some some momentum. And it's small. That's it very just, cool. I like programs. It's a, it's a slow burn. It's not a quick turn. So it's yeah. not... It's not going to produce anything that like is dramatic overnight, but when you faithfully and consistently are good to your people, when you pour into them and when you invest in them, it does, it does show up in the long run. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Brie, I'm going to have us pause for a really quick break and we'll be right back. And we're going to talk about some practical things that we can do to like start sowing those seeds. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Instead of having a sponsor for today's episode, I want to give you a freebie, my retail roadmap. This roadmap is essential for anyone launching or growing a packaged food product, as it clearly outlines the difference between creating a product line that flies off the retail shelf versus one that just sits there. Find my free retail roadmap linked in today's show notes. You are going to love it. Okay, Bree, we are back. And I want to talk about some things that our listeners can do right now if they want to start scratching the surface of creating these these programs and really building those those super fans. So what do you think? Where do they start? Gosh. Um, well, so I'll like back up because I kind of started talking about how you can you can dive into your top 20%, yep. you can like get their input, you can get their feedback and start brain brainstorming with them. But before, even before that, I would get really clear on what you actually are inviting people into. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, again, if that's not super clear for you. It's going to be even fuzzier for them. And if you're not like totally stoked on it, then there's reason somebody else should be more stoked on it than you are. Yeah. My friend would always say like, you are the cap for energy. So if, if you're at 80%, no one is going to get above 80%. Like no one's going to come into the room and be more excited for your product than you are. So if you're at 80, you're already selling yourself short. So you have to be at 150% in order to give anyone a shot at being at hundred percent. So that's kind of like a, an underlying foundation, foundational building block, I would say. Yep. The second and Brie, thing is, I'm going to, can I interrupt yeah. you? Cause I've got a question here. So when you say like, you've got to know what you're inviting them into, is that as simple as, as saying like, um, we're going to invite them into a Facebook group and we're going to do once, once a month giveaways, and we're going to ask them to put in customer request forms. Like, is it as simple as that? Just being like, what is that program? Or is it just like, like how, how detailed do I need to be? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I'm actually speaking more generically about the brand's so ah, I see what, as a brand, are you people into, cause, cause that's where we have to start for that top 20%. And then there's this additional question of like, now for that top 20%, yeah. What, what do they want? Why would they give you more of their energy? Why would gotcha. they give you more of their time? Is it, is it that they're going, are you going to pay them commission on some sales? Are you going to give them access to a community? Are you going to give them access to the brand? Um, so it, it, I would start more general with like, with what is your purpose that yep. you are okay. inviting them gotcha. to brand. Gotcha. And then, and then that next part is for the program specifically, gotcha. what is, and that I, I want to stay away from, uh, diving into like 
all the ins and outs of how to go <laughs> on for like literally you're 10 like, hours. Yeah. And you're like, Allie, this is like a year long program <laughs> that I design with my clients. I cannot no. sum it up in two sentences. <laughs> no, no, but I'm, I'm getting like really rudimentary here yeah. into like the very first thing. So And if you're just starting out the next thing, so these programs are 100% built on trust, which, um, and this is usually where I start talking about influencers and why. So what I talk about building is very different from an influencer program. And I actually, uh, I have a lot of strong feelings around (laughs) the two types of programs, but the reason why these are different is because uh, an advocate program or something where you're activating your super fans is based on trust. And trust is the key ingredient. So even if you're not to build a program today, you're not ready to to move forward. There's a lot of things that you can be doing to instill trust with your customer over time. And that's what I honestly think is one of the key reasons why ground up, why the program took off. So it, it like exceeded our projections that we had, which were not, they were not minimal projections. (laughs) You know how projections go, Allie, right? Like how often do we, theater projections never and never. we did with this program and well, I was like yeah, how- I mean, Brie like this is how we got introduced like Julie Julie was like Allie you have to meet Brie she did amazing things for ground up pdx like make the connection um she was just <laughs> like so overjoyed by the work that you guys did together um do together so yeah by by all means I I'm, I'm stoked that you guys, uh, exceeded all your projections. That's awesome. Brie. Well, I want to take all the credit, but I will say they did it. They did a couple of things, right? So they, they had five years of really consistent messaging. So three things that build trust. One is transparency. Are you transparent as a brand? Do you, do you admit quickly when you've made a mistake and do you let your customers know, um, are you in customer service? Do you have, I mean, it really gets down to these nitty gritty things of like, are you just a consistent brand? Do you have the processes in place to have a consistent, the same message each time? So it's not like, you know, depending on who they reach out to, they might get something totally different. Right. Um, there's, there's lots of that can do in your brand to build trust with your customers over time. And I'm convinced that this was one of the things that ground up has done so thoughtfully, over the five years before they did a program like that, just by the time we activated on it, it was ready to launch. So yeah, it, those are some of the, the things that need to be in place before you even consider going into a program. And then, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again, I think starting with that top 20% and, um, and then I, we have like kind of a framework for how we determine what those actions are that you want your, um, that you want those advocates to take and where you want them to take your hand, but, uh, it's different. One. It's different yeah. One. When you, when you think about that top 20%, is there like a specific number of super fans that you're going for to try to like make it worthwhile? I'm so glad you asked. Yes. So, um, we, we consider the tipping point and there's a lot of data. Um, and there's some, there's a lot of research that I read that backs this up, Tipping point being 1,000 advocates. So that means if you use the 80-20 principle that you have about 5,000 customers when you have 1,000 advocates. Now, I guarantee if you put something out there to that 1,000 people, they're not all going to join. It doesn't like exactly yeah. break out that way. But about 1,000 people in that top 20% puts you over like a, a like fundamental lip, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Over the, that there's yeah. enough energy 
you can still, you can still do the things to, to create trust and create purpose and create, um, buy-in from your customers before that point. But I really, I really don't work with clients and more who aren't beyond at least 5,000 customers to give us a solid base to land on. Yeah. I think that's really important to, to realize too, because, you know, we have people listening who are like, Allie, like I've only had a hundred customers, like, you know, and it, it, but I think you would still get a lot of information about you know, about your brand and your consumers from those 20 people that you are connected with. But um, the larger your sample size, the more accurate information you're going to get, right? And you've got to start somewhere. And that's, that's exactly, if it's a hundred, take that top 20, but, and even just use that guiding principle as a way to know which customers to look at and which ones to be investing in. And even if it's not, you know, you're not at the place to build an entire program. So yeah. a lot of things you can do to, um, to invest in that top 20%. Like we have, we've created, um, like ground up sends a ton of like, thank you cards. Personally, we had actually, it was really fun. They had their five year, uh, birthday and we did a zoom with all the butter ambassadors and we had them share milestones and literally customers were like, I still have the first thank you note that I got in my ground up order years oh my ago. Gosh. And it's just, it's those little seeds that people, people notice. And so if you're, if you're wondering if efforts are going to waste, I'll, I'll just say that it it does, it it builds up over time, but sometimes you don't, sometimes you're planting seeds that you don't see the reward from for five years. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I even see that on a personal note with my business, you know, people join retail ready after literally Brie, like after having been on my mailing list for like, four years or they're like, Allie, we, we met three years ago when you taught me a sell sheet workshop in person at kitchen town. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like what have you been doing for the past three years? And they're like, Oh, I've been slowly building my business. <laughs> um, and it's wonderful, right? Like it's wonderful that they join retail ready at all, but it is, it is so interesting to, to think about the life cycle of your, your, um, efforts and when, when you actually can reap the rewards of them. Yeah. I used to have an analogy for this because I would talk about it with people building their own businesses of like, you know, at any point in time, your week, uh, your, the effort that you're putting in each week should be equally distributed between these three activities, like planting the seeds, watering the plants and reaping the harvest. Like if you're, if you're taking your foot off the gas for any one of these, it might not stall out today, but it might stall out. If you're, if you stop planting the seeds today in six months, you're going to see that harvest not be as good. If you stop watering today, like might not, you don't see an effect today, but like a week from now, your plants are going to be kind of wilted. So I love farming analogies because I grew up on a farm. So (laughs) yeah, well, I'm so glad you're using a, a plant analogy because you know, you can see like anybody who ever sees me on video sees all of these plants in my background. And whenever I like am feeling a little bit lost in my business, or I feel like things are taking too long, or like, it's just, I don't know, kind of like going off track. I literally like look at my plants as I'm on zoom and think about the care with which I nurture them and the 
slow growth expectations I have for my plants and like really think, I mean, gosh, it sounds so cheesy when I say it, but really think that I need to like give my business that, that same grace and that same attention and the same grace that I do uh, with all the plants in my office. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's so easy to just get sucked into like, well, what am I reaping today? Which is important. Like you need to keep, you need to keep that (laughs) in the front of your mind, but but you also have to consider like, where are you planting the seeds for, for a year from now? Yeah. And I just love Brie. I just love that you do that with brands. You help them figure out the systems for planting those seeds, uh, with, with their super fans. That's such important work. It's really fun. You know, I think sometimes, sometimes brands, you get so sucked into your day to day and to have somebody with an outside perspective who's mm. designed programs like this before. Um, I mean, I not to toot my own horn, but there's a lot of value there that I've seen in that yeah. have told me of like, you know, we could have just spun our wheels and built this ourselves over, over the course of a year, but to have an expertise um, in the space come in and be able to also, also determine and kind of break apart the brand in new ways. Like I think that outside perspective is, is a huge value to my clients. So I, I love it. I love getting able, (laughs) being able to rumble and build something together and throw it out into the world and then, and then, you know, test it and make it better. And it's, it's never perfect the first time, like progress over perfection every day of the week. Um, but there's a lot that can happen when you're willing to take the step and put it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours and hours, Brie, but I'm going to, I'm going to restrain myself. So Brie, tell me, tell our listeners, how can they find you? Where they, where can they keep in touch with you? Um, where are you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we're on Instagram, uh, ember.consulting, uh, ember leaning into like the fire and the things that can happen. I loved, I love the image of like coals kind of like lighting each other up and creating all that heat, uh, together and it being even more powerful. So, uh, yeah, ember.consulting, we use a lot of fire analogies and as well, lots of analogies in general. Um, and then our site is just emberconsulting.co and, um, yeah, those are the two main places that we hang out. We have a blog there as well. So if you're interested in kind of, um, dipping your toe in and seeing what you, even if you want to create something in house, or maybe you have a community manager on your team, or this could be a branch of your marketing. Um, our blog has a lot of like helpful tips and ways to get started. Um, and then, and then there's really just hiring us to work with you, which is always Uh great. We love working with new clients, (laughs) especially I, I told Allie this, um, before we started recording, like I, Feel like there's just such uh, potential for the CPG space, especially when you have kind of a health food product where your cl- your customers are like zero to a hundred. Like they yes. absolutely love your yes. product. They're super crazy about it, or they're like, "Ah, this is gross." Blah. Like it's healthy. <laughs> like, like that's what I want. Like I'm looking for the people who like make their customers get on either side of the fence because that is like that is the breeding ground for super fans. Like that is exactly yes. what I'm looking for. And I think especially when you have um, a food product that's consumable, it's an amazing asset for uh, an advocate program because when 
if you're, especially if you're doing a commission-based structure, when I, as your super fan, get one sale and that person likes the product, they're innately going to purchase more and I get that more passive income coming through. So it's way more valuable for me as a super fan to partner with a food brand where that like product gets eaten up and then they need more. And then I just happen to get that commission in the future. So that's a very specific type of program, but, uh, I especially, it attracts me to the space. So thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Brie. And I, I I'll just say like, I fully support your enthusiasm on creating these programs for food and beverage brands. I think, uh, I just can't wait for you to replicate the ground up PDX success with many of our food biz biz listeners. So thank you for being here. I'm, I'm really grateful for the time that you gave us today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. My whizzes. I hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode and that you found it inspiring. I cannot wait to see what this show does for you and how it helps you get folks on board with your social and sustainable missions. So consider this your very official invite. Come on over to the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group and share what your mission is and what you are going to do first after listening to this episode. So you can find the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group linked in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com. I can't wait to see what you put in place with your brand. So as always, thank you for listening. And I will see you right back here next week for another guest episode. We have Noah Alper, the founder of Noah's Bagels on, on our show next week. So we're going to hear about his history building failing at and succeeding with multiple businesses, including Noah's New York Bagels, which ended with a successful sale for his company of $100 million, which is just nuts. So he's going to tell that story to us next week, and I'll see you right back here. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.